0: family um, before we get started this morning I do it's, um, need to make mention missions press is having their gala I saw it call it a gala <laughs> it's their banquet um, a week from Thursday and I um, you know we we, we, um, we house missions press millions and millions of of people are reached through that. I, I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Millions and millions of people have been reached by Missions Press. It's the largest free Christian distribution um, printing printing press in uh, the Western United States. And um, I don't even, I, I can't keep up with the um, the countries and languages, but we're like in 160 something countries and 58 different languages, something like that. Close, don't, but um, Christian literature, teaching material, discipleship material to the third world countries that can't afford it, to pastors who've not been able to have the kind of education and training and uh, to get that resources, it's just phenomenal. So anyhow, um, you can go online at CC Anaheim at our church website, and if you want to, uh, you can buy tickets for it, and the food is always great, so we, uh, we host it here, uh, and I encourage you uh, to consider that. Joshua chapter 20, wow, chapter 20, um, we've been in this section, and for those of you who are joining us uh, now, and uh, we've been looking through the book of Joshua, and the uh, the thing about where we are is it's a distribution of the land of Israel given to the 12 tribes of Israel. And, uh, and so that is, you know, we've been, we've been in this section where you have lists of cities and names and so forth. And as we were going through this, it's a, it's a portion, it's where people when you're reading the Bible you just kind of skim over. That's what, what, what really happens. But what we miss is God kind of knows that. He's kind of smart. So what he's done is he places these little jewels, these, these golden nuggets of truth right in the middle of that. Because even though those names might not mean that much to us, they meant a lot to the people who lived in that land for a long time. And we actually learn a lot about the history and we learn about what God did and we learn a little bit about God's um, priorities, the things that God are, are important to God. And uh, obviously when we see these, the names of all the people in any of the genealogical, genealogical um, records uh, not only does it help us as God gives us a link to whatever uh, tribe and of course, things like Jesus and and the disciples and where they were linked to. But also, it keeps reminding us that God is so into the minutia when it comes to people. God remembers your name. Let's put it that way. God remembers your name. He doesn't forget who you are. And uh, we would just kind of let... How many know... Um, who your great-great-great-grandfather was, you know, or grandmother. Okay, we got two, three. <laughs> it's not that important else we'd all know, right? <laughs> and yet they could go back generations and know all of their relatives because it was they kept track of that. So, um, So here we go. Have you ever been in a situation where you need to find refuge. I mean, have you ever been in a situation where um, something or someone was after you and you had to find a place of safety? Well, um, I have a story. When I was, um, years ago, I was, uh, we had, Carol and I, um, a lady had come to our church and she was running. She had her children with her. She was running from a, an abused hus- abusive husband. And, um, and he had abused her for years. And uh, the last time with a bat. And, and uh, she, was a, she was afraid for the kids. And she was afraid, afraid to go to the, um, you know, to the authorities, go to the police department. Because she said if he got out, he would kill her. And she knew that. She believed it. And she was probably right. I mean, that, that was her, her situation. So we had taken her in. And, but this guy was just relentless. Even though she didn't contact with him at all, he was relentless and found out where she was and found out that we were taking care of her. We were, we were helping her. And so I get a phone call from a psychologist up in Northern California and the psychologist says, this guy, um, he had come to her. He was getting some kind of counsel. And she said, and uh, he is extremely mad. He's got a gun. And he um, he said, he's going to kill you. And, he, and she said, she said, and I believe him. She said, but I can't do anything. He's gone. I can't do anything about it. I'm letting you know. So that's kind of. Um, you know, I get this, this call before service. So I go into church, and I I haven't had a chance to even tell anybody. I go into church, and a lady in church, as I'm preaching, has a vision, and she comes up to me after service. She said, Pastor, I don't know what to do with this. She said, but while you were preaching, I looked, and you had a hole in your head. And uh, she said, "I, you know, I don't." And and I went, "Oh, good. That's <laughs> kind <clears> of." <throat> uh, I've been told I had a hole in my head before, but <clears throat> so we, you know, I. Uh, this is before I had a gun, and so I had a bat. But so you know, we told all the police officers in a, in, a, in the church who had uh, were, uh, you know, keep an eye open, but. You never know. You go out in your car, or if he knows where you live. I mean, you, you're in a situation where you're very vulnerable, and um, and the guy's crazy, and he's gonna, you know, and he's he's obviously in that place. He's capable of doing that. So, what do you do in that place, in that situation? What do you do? You go to your refuge. You go to God that's what you do. Lord, I, I, let me tell you what we miss sometimes. Christians miss this. A lot of times you'll see yourself, you'll see the enemy at work. You know, sometimes you see or you get this um, kind of impression that he's targeting you or targeting your family. And when you get that sense that he's targeting your family, a lot of times people say, "Well, the devil's just trying to intimidate me," and I rebuke that fear. Well, it's fine, rebuke the fear. But maybe what's happening is God is actually exposing the enemy's plan, so you can sp- do spiritual warfare against it. Your family can do, and you can do spiritual warfare. You see it coming. See, that that vision that that lady had was not from the devil. God was showing her what would happen if there, if there was no nothing done about what was coming down the road. And you can thwart, see, the, the future, God sees what happens if there isn't anything changed. He gives you that so things can change. And so the change for us was we went to very serious prayer. We were, were, were praying against uh, that guy having any uh, access, and that, that that man would just turn around and go away. And uh, that's exactly actually what happened. He ended up coming down, but he ended up not approaching me. He ended up turning around and going back. And so um, there's a time when you really need someone to be your protection. And God is, in fact, he is our our rescuer. He, he, we can count on him. He's our refuge is the terminology. Now, I bring that up because in this chapter, um, there is a plan that God has because, see, God is um, a just God. In fact, and justice means this. Justice means um, protection for the innocent and punishment for the guilty. That's what justice is. Protection from, for the innocent and punishment for the guilty. That's justice. Now God adds this other element called mercy in it. And we'll talk about that later. But this is what justice is. Protection from the inno- for the innocent and punishment for the guilty. Now as they're coming through and they're, they're kind of doing all this with the land of Israel. Remember, you know, them going into the promised land is not heaven. There's there's problems even in the promised land, because you have people there, right? People with sin with sin natures. And so God begins to give them some expound what was what's taking place, and he remember as he's dispersing the land, there is one tribe that will not get a large portion of land for them to all live in, and that was the Levites. The Levites, the the, the tribe of Levi and Simeon, uh, both of those, Simeon was told they, they would get lamb, but that they would eventually be scattered, and that has, actually ha- did happen. We can talk about that another time, but the Le- Levi repented from their sin. The reason both of those were given that, because of a violence they did to another community, to a community of, uh, of um, foreigners, and God punished them for it, but Levi repented now, Levi didn't get their portion of land, but what they did get was 48 cities is what they got. They got 48 towns all around Israel, these little towns where they could, they could live and they would, they would service the synagogues and so forth throughout Israel. But they were also given six cities that, um, they were major cities, they were called cities of refuge. I'm going to show you the map on this one. Um, there, there were six cities of refuge, three of them on the, on the east side and three on the west side of the Jordan River. And they were strategically located so that anyone who lived in, those in, in, in Israel could fairly quickly get to one of those cities if they needed to. And, uh, and so uh, it, it was also a position because of... Uh, of uh, population centers as well, so it was, it was put right where they needed to be. Now why would they need these cities of refuge? Well, because there was a, here's the the, uh, the Hebrew word, the goel, the goel. The goel um, represents, um, actually it's translated both in the English translation of Avenger of Blood and Kinsman Redeemer. Those are two different things, but it's translated that way. So you'll find sometimes the Goel is translated Kinsman Redeemer, other places like where we are to today, it's translated Avenger of Blood. What in the world are they? Let me tell you what the Kinsman Redeemer is. Very important. The kinsman redeemer, I'm telling you what is in Israel, but how it relates to us. Kinsman redeemer was the responsible family member. He had to be a family member, a near kinsman, as they would call it, a near relative, who would take on the responsibility that if somebody in the family lost part of the family inheritance, the family land, the land that was the family land, they would lose it. Maybe they got in debt and was they, they, they lost the land. Or if they, because of um, servitude, they became a, a servant's a slave through servitude. In other words, they owed somebody so much money that they became a slave to that person. Only the kinsman redeemer could get it back. Now, if the kinsman redeemer could purchase them as slaves purchase them, or he could also purchase the land. And so if he went and purchased, this is how he did it, he would go and offer uh, for the land the, the price or the value of the land. And if he offered the value of the land to the person, the person who now owned the land that, you know, his, their, his relative used to own, because he's a kinsman redeemer, they have to sell them the land. You, you can't not sell. You can't say, no, I don't want your money. I want the land. No. If, they, if they're a kinsman redeemer, that land will go back to the family member. He's not buying it for himself. He's buying it for that family member that lost it. And you'll get the land. Okay. You're thinking, so how in the world? That does, how does that relate to me? How does it relate to me? The Bible says that Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. And here's the thing here's, there's a law of the kinsman redeemer. If the kinsman redeemer goes and he purchases the land, he gives the person time to get their stuff together and get out so they can take possession of the land. And if that person takes the money but then decides, you know, I'm not leaving my house is here, I built this, I'm staying. Then the kinsman redeemer has a legal right to kick them out of the land with violence, to violently remove them, whatever it takes to get the land back. That is the law for the kinsman redeemer. In the book of Revelation, it reminds us that our first parents gave the land to the God, little g, God of this world, Satan. They they, they did it because, see, God had given them to have dominion over this place that God had given them. He had given them dominion, and what they did was they submitted to the will of Satan and, and came under his rulership when they decided to do his will rather than God's will. When they ate of the fruit... They were, and, and at that point, submitting to the will of Satan. And Satan became the God, little g, God of this world. And if you wonder why the world is such a mess, that's why. He, he has a rulership that was given to him. But the kinsman redeemer, our kinsman redeemer, he paid for it, the land. He paid with his blood. Is he died for the sins of the world and he died and he he, he died to, to win to, to buy back well our, us from slavery, slave to sin, slave to the enemy. He bought us back that way, and he bought the land back. And the book of Revelation starts off with a, a scroll with seven seals on it, which which represents the title deed to the earth and and the angel cries out who is worthy to open the seals and all of heaven is silent for a moment and says no one in heaven or earth or under the earth is worthy to open the seals And John, understanding what's going on, begins to weep. He begins to cry, there's no one worthy. But then, the cry out is, but the lamb, from the the lion, from the tribe of Judah, the lamb who is slain from the foundations of the earth, he is worthy, he's worthy. If you wonder what the tribulation period is, it's the devil getting kicked out. You understand? Because at the end of all that, he's cast into, in, 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 into hell. He's cast into the, the burning fire that, that burns forever and ever. He, what, what this is, is the kinsman redeemer kicking them out of the land. All the demons, all of hell kicked out. All those who are the enemy of God kicked out. Bought by the, because of our kinsman redeemer. You get that? I hope you get excited about that. You kind of will understand a little bit more of Revelation if you didn't understand that. Understand what's coming down the road if you don't understand that. But he's also referred to, the kinsman redeemer, is often, uh, we, the, the, the very word is translated avenger of blood. Because the same person who was the kinsman redeemer in, in the Old Testament um, would have been the one who was also, or at least could be, I shouldn't say necessarily, but the family would pick someone. If someone was killed in their family, you, there were no authorities. We didn't have, they didn't have police and they didn't have that kind of thing in that, you know, obviously in those days in that culture. What they had, and it wasn't just in Israel. It was all around the world. I mean, other nations, this is how it worked. You had a kinsman redeemer in your family, probably chose the big guy in the family, and you would say, you're responsible for avenging the blood of our relative who got killed. And either he would go or he'd have a group of people that would go to kill the person who killed their family. Now, I said, listen, God's justice is is that the innocent are not punished, and the guilty are. So God set up a system that if you were just playing baseball, and you swung, and the guy stepped up, ahead, put, put his head where the ball is supposed to be, and you accidentally killed him, you know, well, it was an accident, but the family don't care, they think you're you did on purpose they're going to so what do you do well you run to the city of refuge and and there and let's let's uh, and there you would um you would you know you would be it would be a place of safety see because in God's economy he values life values life you know after the flood God destroyed the, 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 the world. He destroyed mankind, but for a handful to start over. The scripture says about them that man had become evil and violent. One of the things that happened in those early days is mankind lived long, long time. So there were people living eight, eight, nine hundred 900 years, and... Uh, Listen, if you're evil and you're living that long, you can get pretty bad in 900 years, right? Especially if you're, you know, you, you still have your strength. Still, and, and there was. It, it really had gotten evil. That's why the Bible says that God shortened man's life after the flood because of violence. But, but in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6, it says this. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God He made man, and as for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply. So God is saying, I want you to multiply. This is after the flood. I want you to multiply. I, you know, I value human beings, and I value them so much that they're at the highest value. So if someone takes another person's life, the value of life says. And justice says that that person's life should be taken as well. Now, so you have capital punishment in the scriptures. You see that. But, but God did it. Notice what it says. It says, because for in the image of God he made man. So mankind was made in the image of God. You're in the image of God. That's your value. Your value is that you're in the image of God and that God cares about you. And so when someone takes a life, they're they're taking what God highly values. And the individual who does it is obviously not valuing life like God does. And God's means of keeping the value for human life up is if you take a life, you lose yours. That says life is really valuable. You see, so man tries to figure things out. When we get away from the Bible, we get in trouble. In fact, when we talk about the things of the Bible, oftentimes when it it conflicts with, well, people say, well, you're getting political now. No, no. This is what the Bible says, the politicians just went against the Bible, and that's why their politics are in the middle of the the sermon. I mean, the the reason they're in it, because they crossed the line of what the Bible says needs to happen. And so we have, in fact, uh, human endeavors to try to figure out a way for, for justice to happen, and in many cases, injustice happens, but more than that, the, the, um, it, it increases violence when we don't go and, and look at what God has, has shown us in how to, to deal with this. So God's method is simply this. If a person intentionally kills another person, then their life should be taken as well. It's, it's, it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, as Jesus had said in that. Not, not, an, not an eye for two eyes, you see, or not a tooth for dentures. It's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, which brings value. So people say, well, you know, we've had capital punishment, there are capital punishment in other places, and it doesn't stop violence. I want you to read a really uh, interesting scripture in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 11. It says this. It says, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. See that? Not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. So he says... It's because we do not deal with it quickly, as long as we're not dealing with it and dealing with it in a timely manner, then what happens is it gets in the heart of men to do more evil. So you have an individual who we know have no question about the fact that they killed people Video. Testimony, people were there, they killed them intentionally and so forth. And then they go for another 15 to 20 years before execu- or no execution. And as in many, many in most states, that that um, their, their life is not taken. They live until, you know, they die. Or sometimes they get out and they have intentionally killed somebody and they will and eventually even get out of prison. So what you end up happening is. People become more, people, it just says it right here. The, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. That increases. I know the argument um, that, yeah, what about when you put someone to death and they we find out later they're, is, they're innocent, you can't go back. That is absolutely true. And that, that is what needs to be fixed in this case. And that is what you want, need to work on is make sure you get the guilty who are guilty and the innocent who are innocent. That's what you work on. But if you don't do that, many, many, many times more people will die because the hearts of people are to do evil. And if you let it go, more people die. We've seen that. We see it. And of course, we've gone. You know, as a nation, we've gone to, we, we had, what, a kid a couple of days ago shoot four, in high school, shoot four high schoolers. The next day, they were released in on bail. And uh, the next day, they're at, at their house having a party after shooting someone the day before. Not one person, four people, but one in critical condition. When, And, and so, the the idea is not punishment, it's justice. And justice says and and, and God's word says listen, people are so valuable that if you take their life, well it'll cost you. And the violence has not gotten better. In fact, the last century is the most, the bloodiest century in world history. By far. And that's not even talking about the unborn. So Now, there's an element, I said this, there's an element about God's justice, and that is this infusion of mercy, and we'll get to that a little bit further. But let's take and take a look at Joshua chapter 20 and verse 1. The Lord also spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses. That the slayer who kills a person accidentally or intentionally—everybody say accidentally. He says it, this is accidental; it's not intentional. Un, accidentally or unintentionally, may flee there, and they shall be—and uh, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. So, and he says, and and it says, and when the when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of the city, they shall take him into the city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. So there, he's, he comes to the city, he goes, I didn't do it on purpose, it was an accident. And they say, come on in, you know, and we'll take care of you and we'll protect you right now. And then it says... In verse 5, then if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally but, it, but, but did not hate him beforehand. So this was not, this wasn't preplanned. Verse 6, and he shall dwell in the city until he stands before the congregation of judgment and until the death of of the one who is is high priest in those days. Now, it says, notice it says, until, then he will stand before the congregation of judgment. So what is this? This is court. They have, they have, uh, you know, uh, uh, they have his peers who will be judging whether he is really innocent or guilty. So it isn't like a guy can come running in there and say, I didn't do it on purpose. Okay, come on in, we'll say, protect you. They say, we'll protect you until you you go to court. See, and so you you have a jury of your peers. This is where we started out getting our justice system. It came from the biblical understanding of justice. It, you know, this was unique in those days. and And God set this up so that they could be, you know, they could have a real court to see if they were innocent or guilty. But then it says um, they can stay there until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. So they run to the city of, you, you got to picture this. They're running to the city of refuge and they're taken in and they're declared innocent. That they, It wasn't uh, intentional. There were still consequences. They had to stay now in the city of, of refuge, they had to live there until the high priest dies. When the high priest dies, then you're able to leave the city, and the avenger of blood cannot harm you. But you have to wait till the high priest dies. So you hope the high priest is really old when you get there. You see, you want you want to get out of there. You don't want to live there, but you might. You might live there your whole life in there, but you're alive, and you have you set you know you start your life all over as a result of that. And so, but then it says, until the high priest dies. I wonder if you're making any connection here. The high priest, when he dies, then, even because even though the pursuer was after him, he can't get to him now. You understand? Because the high priest died. I, I don't know if you're catching on, but there's a... There's a you see this, this correlation between the city of refuge and our city of refuge, who is Jesus Christ? That when Jesus died for us, even though the pursuer of blood was after us, the thief comes, but but only to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's Satan's plan. That's what he's after. But when the high priest dies, you don't have to hide out from the pursuer of blood. You're free. You, you, can, you can go anywhere in the land and the pursuer of blood cannot get to you because you've been set free. I mean, th- this whole picture is an interesting one because uh, he, he goes on, by the way, um, in verse 7 and 8, telling about you know, the locations of these cities of refuge and so forth. But in verse, 20, in verse 9, the last verse, it says, these were the cities appointed to all the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwelt among them, that whoever killed a person accidentally, accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation." So, he would have a right. That's what it was about. The law of exact retribution was part of, of, of the legal system of that day. Exact. So, that we, as we already mentioned, Jesus talked about this. Jesus talked about it in chapter 5 and verse 38 and 39. He says, you have heard that it is said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Okay, that's, the, that, that's justice by the way. Jesus wasn't disputing that, but he says, but I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slapped you on your right cheek turn the other to him also. What's Jesus saying? Saying if somebody slapped you, go, hey, hit me here too? No, that's not what he's saying. In fact, he, the context is really about legal issues, but there was something else that Jesus was bringing into the mix. And that was this. Forgiveness is of high value in the kingdom of God. Of high value. It's, it's higher, it, forgiveness is of higher value than vengeance in the kingdom of God. What God wanted is his family, his people to be known for being forgivers. Good forgivers. To be known for those who are not, you know, out to get somebody back for what they've done. But are the kind of people that are, you can you can trust those people. They're really good forgivers. That's what God wanted to, to bring into, you know, his kingdom. As Jesus was saying, listen, this is how you act. Now, th- th- it's the same Jesus who told the disciples before he left, he said, sell everything you have and buy a sword. Now, the sword was not for buttering your, your bread. So, and you know, don't get the wrong impression of what Jesus was fully saying, but Jesus was saying that the attitude of the heart of my people are forgivers. And, and we, we need to be seen that way. We need to be the kind of people that others take refuge in our forgiveness. But this, this whole, this refuge, this city of refuge, is a type of Jesus. It's like Jesus. You, you'll notice, and, and I, it, it says there in verse 9, it, it said, And for the stranger who dwelt among us. That's the Gentiles. In most cases, that's you and me. We're in that category. He says, You can all flee. Not just the Jews can flee the city of refuge. Everyone, anyone can go. You you need to go to the city of refuge. You need to find protection. There it's for you. Jesus is open arm. Our refuge is Jesus. It says that the writer of Hebrews makes this connection. He says this, verse 17 of chapter 6. The writer of Hebrews says this. Thus God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. That means that that God doesn't change his mind. I mean you can count on it. The the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. So God wanted to, to, to show... The people, the heirs of his promise that happens to be followers of Christ. God wanted to show that, but he wanted to show it in such a way that you would never second guess it ever again. You wouldn't need to. God wanted to show you that you can absolutely count on the fact that Christ's sacrifice for you has secured your, you know, your, 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 you find your refuge in him secured for all eternity. And so he goes on and says that by two immutable things, two non-changing things, what are the two things? In which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation. God can't lie. I I had a pastor friend who said, Well, I don't believe that because if God can't lie, then God can't do something. I know that philosophical argument. Can God make a rock too big for him to lift? You got a dilemma. If God can't lift it, he can't do something. If he can make a rock so big that he can't lift it, then he can't do it. Or he can't make a rock so big that he can't lift it, well, then he can't do that. So what do you do? God's spirit. He's not subject to the laws of gravity. (laughs) But God cannot lie. And the reason God cannot lie is because if God, it's against, it's, it's, it's against his character. If God lied, he would stop being him. He wouldn't be God. He cannot not be him. God cannot not be God. Got it? Okay. So the Bible actually says there are something that God can't do. Or won't do or both. But he says this because God made an oath. It says, you have fled for refuge. There it is. You, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've fled, you've gone to the city of refuge, Jesus, to lay hold of the hope set before us. And you can be assured of it because of two things that God said. This, the, the first thing was God said that he is your hope, that he's the refuge, he's the, he, he, he's the salvation, that you have salvation, hope in him. You can count on it. The second thing he did is God swore. or well, he made an oath about it. So he said it and made an oath. He doesn't lie. And besides that, he swore that he told the truth. Where do you go with that? Secure, you're in the city of refuge. You see, you're there. Rest in it. it. Says, "Where's my eternal hope? It's in Jesus." But what? What if I don't feel like I'm saved? But I, I mean, I've 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 I genuinely believe that Jesus died for my sins. And but what if I don't feel like it? Well, your feelings are lying to you, so ignore them. God said, God said, and he swore, and he didn't lie. So you can rest in that hope. You can find security in that refuge. Where you live is in the hope and protection of God, and you can expect that and believe that all the days of your life, And beyond. Now, here's where the analogy breaks down. There there, there is a place it breaks down. The city of refuge in the Old Testament was only for the innocent. It was only for the innocent. But the city of refuge in Jesus, it's only for the guilty. Say, well, I'm not guilty. Oh, yes, you are. Everyone's guilty. Everyone has sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if you have failed, this is what the scripture says about the people, the men. When they had committed the, you know, whatever happened, they were to run. Run. They, they were to, they were to, to, to take, take heed and they were to, to, to go as fast as they could to the city of refuge. And when you've sinned, you need to go as fast as you can to the city of refuge. When you find yourself guilty, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. And by the way, it's not a marathon. It's actually one step. Because he's right there. He's right there. And you can find wholeness and forgiveness and blessing and assurity. Oh, It's in Jesus, folks. It's in Jesus. Psalms 101.1 says this. I will sing of the mercy and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. See, there it is. God is just and he's merciful. Because he paid the price. He didn't get rid of your sin just by getting rid of your sin. He actually took it upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Your sin was placed upon him. Past, present, and future. Upon Jesus. Justice was met out. The guilty was punished because Jesus took it upon himself, he was punished on the cross, took the sins of the world, your sins and mine. So, now, because of that, we're cleansed, we're the innocent, we're free, and we get to dwell in the refuge of our Savior forever, forever. The promise of God, the scripture says in Psalms 99, the Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Psalms 46, one says God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And throughout the scriptures, you'll find over and over again, the references to the fact that God is our refuge. Maybe somebody needs to run today. Maybe, you know, what happens to us when we sin? We know it, there's usually, there's a conviction of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes guilt will try to come in and cause us to move away from God. Never let that happen. God swore, he paid the price. If you do, don't sin, don't don't sin. But if you do, run to Jesus. I say, don't sin. Sin will mess you up. Don't sin. But if you do, run to Jesus. He's our refuge. Well, Father, I thank you because, Lord, in you there is hope. And today, Lord, there are people watching online Right now, or maybe in this room, who've never given their life to you and never said yes to you, Jesus. Lord, I pray today would be their day. They'll run right into the city of refuge, their hope in you. And I pray that right now, if you're listening and you've not given your life to Christ, this is your moment, this is your time. And you just, if you with your heart, and it, we, we, we say it with our mouth, but we also say it with our heart, if you'll just say to Jesus, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I need you. I want you to be my savior. I choose you. And I ask that you would cleanse my soul. I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. I believe you died on the cross for me. You were buried and you conquered death. And from now on, Jesus, I choose to follow you. And I ask for your help. Help me to do that. Well, Lord, I invite you fully to take control of my life. I surrender to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, would you would you go to our website and let us know, ccanaheim.com, and just let us know that you received Christ. We have some things we'd like to send you and help you in your walk with God. You guys ready for to close and lift our hearts and our praise to Jesus? Are you ready to do that? Let's do that. Oh, you're going to love this. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, you're gonna love this.
1: Bye. It's a sign that you are with me Fire by night is the guiding light to my feet You found me, you freed me Held back the waters for my release Oh, yeah